Hey Jets, get your shit together. Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell like it is, poker playing guitars, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. Thank you all so much for the uh, continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. Really means a lot to me. Uh, big shout out to all our friends uh, of the podcast. We got Vegas Squares Podcast. We got Zero Gravity Games. We've got B Boys Honey, Skin Dimensions, and uh, Selfix Doctors. All right, let's get into it. Winnipeg Jets, what the fuck is going on? So, for those of you that don't know, uh, I am from Winnipeg, born and raised Winnipegger, um, and the Jets have gotten better over the last few years. Uh, to that point now, where they were ready to take that next step into being one of the team's elite, or one of the league's elite teams. For most of the season this year, it has looked like that would be the case. Uh, they firmly ju- they jumped out uh, to the lead in the Central Division, which does have the Nashville Predators, uh, and this is a, team, a Nashville team that's one year removed from being the kind of consensus favorite to at least win the Western Conference, if not the Cup, uh, going into last season, and then they lost to the Jets, and now kind of the Jets kind of took over that de facto top of the Central spot. But the Predators have quickly reminded people that you know they're not dead. And uh, they're still alive and well. The Jets, however, have had a weird season and a weird collapse of late. At one point, the Winnipeg Jets were about four or five points clear. Uh, Let's say four points clear. And they had three fucking games in hand on Nashville. At another point in the season, the St. Louis Blues were dead last in the league. Dead last. Now St. Louis is tied with the Jets with a chance to leapfrog the Jets into uh, second place in the Central Division. So I say all of this and an updated standing after the last two nights. If you haven't checked out my last uh, episode of the podcast uh, talking about hockey, um, which would have been, yeah, there you go. That's the last one. It would have been episode 80. Uh, check that out where I'd said kind of the situation that's playing out. I've long talked about the formula to leapfrog and to stay ahead in the standings. All of this has come into fruition for our for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, and it's a disaster. So our beloved Jets have fallen apart. Uh, the goal differential margin has slipped as well. It's just not looking good. They are no longer the number one team in the Central Division. That has kindly been taken over by the Nashville Predators. The Jets have used up all of their games in hand. As a matter of fact, St. Louis picked up points um, in their game at hand, which they ended up having going into this last week. The season will wrap up on Saturday when I believe all three teams will play. Um, Regardless, disaster. They lost to the Colorado uh, Avalanche last night. Uh, so Colorado clinched a playoff spot. Um, and funny enough, here you go. Colorado 8-0-2 in their last 10 games, including last night, to solidify a spot, to jump ahead of teams and get into the playoffs. At one point, Minnesota was ahead of them. Colorado had was taught, you know, they were the top team at the beginning of the year, and then they kind of had a collapse. They got their shit together, went 8-0-2, like I said you have to do, and they're in a playoff spot firmly. And the best part is Colorado could technically still not even be the second wildcard team, and they could jump in that first wildcard spot. 
If I were Colorado, though, I'd be a little more excited for that matchup against Calgary. Uh, Calgary seems to be having some goaltending issues of late. Uh, the other day I was at the gym and uh, we were talking in the steam room, myself and a couple of other uh, people, and we were saying, like, you know, some of the interesting storylines. And one of that one is Calgary. They flew under the radar to be the top team in the West this year. I think a lot of focus, my focus in particular, I thought the Western Conference was going to be a two-man race between uh, San Jose and Vegas. Uh, both teams struggled with issue, uh, with uh, injury issues and whatnot and, and kind of uh, new players. So those are going to be two teams, I think, still to watch for in the playoffs. But Calgary kind of slipped under the radar, but now they're kind of having some issues in net with uh, between kind of who's going to be the guy and finding that kind of confidence and consistency in their goalies between David Rich and um, Mike Smith. The thing with Mike Smith is this. Mike Smith got kind of into his groove in the NHL at a relatively older age. Um, I think he already uh, is probably close to 40. Uh, let's see if we can uh, find that. But uh, regardless, he got into his uh, groove a little later than a lot of other players do. And, and it happens for goalies. They, they do say that about goalies. And by they, I mean the, the, you know, the, the experts. Goalies get into their prime a little later at the NHL level. Uh, they find their kind of uh, comfort zone a little after a couple of years. You know, some get into it right away. Some have that splash the pan, then they kind of fade, then they come back. Kind of like a Braden Holpe, um, who kind of really blossomed into being one of the top goalies and consistently one of the top goalies in the NHL. Um, and I've always viewed uh, Holpe since he kind of got that number one job in... Uh, in Washington as as being one of, if not the most consistent goalie uh, in the uh, NHL. So yeah, Mike Smith is 37 years old. So it's a 37-year-old Mike Smith. Uh, Dave Riddich is 27. Um, Smith is a big guy, though, in that net at 6'5", 220 pounds. But uh, Mike Smith, what was interesting about him was he had found himself on the Team Canada Olympic team in 2014. Uh, he was the third goalie behind, uh, I believe it was Marc-Andre Fleury and Carey Price. A lot of people thought Bobby Lou might get the call again, uh, but it was tough, uh, I think, to, to... I mean, you kind of had to go with the next generation, I guess. Uh, but Bobby Lou was the... Oh, no! Maybe it was Bobby Lou. I think maybe Marc-Andre Flair might have been hurt. I'd, I'd have to look that up. But I, I, it could have been... Nonetheless, Smith was on the team. Price was on the team. It was who the other goalie was. Um, and I remember that uh, very interestingly enough because Holtby... I, I mean, Carey Price was coming off a year of injury. Brayden Holtby kind of looked like the guy the year before. He had had an unreal season. Then kind of fell apart the uh, Olympic year. So just interesting how these things happen. But regardless, we're not talking about Holtby and the Capitals. We're dealing with the Western Conference. We're dealing with the Jets. And the disaster that this has been. I cannot state that enough, and I want to stress that enough, that this is just so beyond unacceptable now um, for an elite top team. Uh, I can't imagine if you're Paul Maurice, you're not sitting there, like, ready to just fucking lose it on these guys. And maybe he is. He probably, I can't imagine he is. And this is where the, you know, the coaches get the blame. Maybe, yeah, there is an element. I've long said that Maurice is the guy that gets you ready to win. And then you have the guy that'll win it with you. He did it in Carolina, you know, Toronto, all these things. He's a great coach, develops, gets players on that track. And then, you know, each of us serve our role. That's kind of, I've noticed his sweet spot at the NHL level. And he's had a very successful career with that. However, Jets have collapsed. 
But as I was saying, Colorado should look forward to that matchup with Calgary. I think it, it could be a winnable one, especially depending how Philippe Grubauer and uh, Semyon Varlamov are playing in the Colorado net. Colorado's more consistent in net. and I mean, they have played better over the last 10 games. They are... Um, 8-0-2, as I said, to Calgary 6-4. Damon says Calgary kind of locked up the Western Conference a little while ago. So, you know, you kind of coast a little bit, whatever it might be. But their goaltending situation has to be figured out. If you're the Jets, you're no longer in control of your own destiny. Like, how the fuck does that happen? And I've long said it, the story of the Jets has been losing the games they should win. And people think, oh, it's not going to matter. Oh, we still have games now. Eventually, things matter. And it's not what's happening at the end of the season that people have to look back and say, oh, well, you know, we lost a few games down the road. No, 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 no. This has been a season-long problem, and you have to address it as such. As a team, they were losing games they needed to win and should have won. It's one thing to beat these other elite teams and, oh, yay, let's feel good for ourselves. We beat Nashville. When you're treating Nashville like they're better than you, it sets that mindset in yourself and in Nashville's mind. Nashville went in there like, wait, you're on top of us in the division, and yet you're treating us like you have to, like, we're still your measuring stick? Okay. And look at how things have played out. In their last 10 games, Nashville is 7-2-1. Um, so very close to that 8-0-2 mark, much closer to it than the Jets. Uh, St. Louis is right there at 7-1-2, so they picked up points that Nashville didn't, um, and that's why they put themselves in this position. And our lowly Jets have lost two straight. I guess it's now five out of their last six games, uh, going 4-5-1, leaving seven points on the table versus St. Louis uh, in their race against uh, both St. Louis and Nashville. So, Imagine this, if they win the same number of games, so if they get to seven wins in their last 10 games, the Jets have six additional points, putting them at 103 points and locked up the Central Division. Two wins. Two fucking wins. And they get four more points. They're at 101 points and and in control of their own destiny. Even better than that, one more win puts them at 99 points. So two more points puts them at 99 wins, or 99 points. They're on top of the central and still in control of their own destiny. All they have to do is win out their last game. But no, that was too much to ask. And uh, maybe we owe them an apology. Maybe we owe the Jets an apology uh, for this collapse, I I don't know, uh, but I think the more excuses we make for them, the worse it is. I think we have to address it as a serious problem and a cause for concern now. For a long time, I think we were making excuses um, for the Jets all season, and a lot of the broadcasters and sportscasters uh, were doing this. And you know, as I always say, I'm not crazy. I'm just ahead of the curve, and I've been pointing out that these were issues for concern. Go back and check out the podcasts all season. You can't go losing games you should be winning. It is the difference between being that elite team versus a team that's scrambling at the end of the season. You know, and then the other day they, you know, they're all proud of themselves. They hold a players only meeting. Like, what is that going to do? 
So all they're going to do is either A, oh, hey guys, we need to get this together. They're going to talk like civilized adults or they're going to point the finger at each other. They're going to curse at each other. They're going to yell at each other and hopefully, oh, hey, let's all yell at each other, build some animosity here and, you know, now let's piece it together. I think there's a reason why you have coaches and coaching staff. Um, and it, it was just ridiculous. My uh, mom's ex-partner, he was always big. He always talked all this stuff about, oh, how much of an expert he was in hockey. And, oh, I can look at any game and know the defensive system they're playing. Whatever. Whatever helps us all sleep at night. At the end of the day, didn't matter. He he was a very argumentative uh, person. And... And we jumped on a lot of bandwagons. And I remember one season, it was after the first game of the year, and the Jets had won their game like 7-1 to one or something. And he comes into work, he's like, can you believe it? The Jets have 8 out of the top 10 scores. It's crazy. We're the best team in the league. I knew this was going to happen, and Jets didn't even make the playoffs that year, I don't believe. It was, I mean, there's a time and place uh, for everything in life, including excitement. But anyway... Um, why I get into why, why he comes up is, uh, it was again, going with the consensus, going with what he, he, he'd always point out like, Oh, sorry, this isn't what people are saying. Oh, oh, these guys are saying this and you're going to tell me that you know better than them. Well, that is kind of what I'm saying now. And now I'm hoping this is a bit of a wake up call to people that, Hey, listen to the dude. He isn't that wrong about things. When it comes to the Jets, they were losing too many games all season that they should have won. Tampa Bay can't say the same thing, and that's why they're at the top. And let's look at this, for instance. Let's compare them to the Washington Capitals. I know people are going to say, oh, that's a stretch. But no, let's look at this. That Metropolitan Division has been quietly a very competitive division. The lowest team, the third-place team in that Metropolitan Division has 99 points with the possibility of getting 101 points. So they could have three teams in that division all over 100 points, two of which have already done so. Even in the uh, Atlantic Division, if Toronto wins their last game against Montreal, three teams with 100-plus points. In the Central Division, all three teams could hypothetically lose their their last games. Standings stay the same, none of which have 100 points. Just putting that in perspective. Also, Washington had a very tight race where the store, where one of the storylines in the Eastern Conference was how, how well... Um, New York was doing how well their goalies were doing how they had the best goaltending tandem in the league how it was this Cinderella story pardon me of um, you know this redemption story rather um, in net um, for uh, Thomas Grice and uh, Robin Leonard you know all of these things they were on top of the Metropolitan Division for a long time they were going kind of you know it was a tight race between Washington Pittsburgh New, um and New York just even a couple of weeks ago I was doing an episode talking about that I had said Washington should pull it out they clinched it last night so we're everything's fine but here you go that's an example of a team digging deep yes the Washington Capitals won the cup last year yeah there's that whole idea of the cup hangover but again how much of a cup hangover Pittsburgh won back-to-back cups and still made it to the second round in the year they lost. So, I mean, you, you have to be able to dig deep. That's why you do the the training in the summer. That's why you take better uh, care of yourself. That's why you just you want to win. When you're a team that wants to win, you find ways to do it. When you're a person that wants to get ahead, you find ways. You create those opportunities. Washington did that. The Islanders did that. The Penguins did that. They're going to wrap up. They're all going to finish... Um, as the division ones, Columbus um, could win out, uh, could get into the playoffs here. I think just basically one more win 
uh, either way, and it's uh, all over uh, for uh, Montreal. So it, it's very sad, very tough, but it is what it is. But Columbus is going to get in the playoffs too. So even Columbus that, I mean, they've been getting the brunt of a lot of my criticism lately, couldn't get the job. Uh, I mean, they got the job done. The Jets, not so much. And they were afforded a ton of luxuries this season. But as I said, people weren't noticing the issues, or they were covering them up with excuses. And, oh, Patrick Laine has this many goals before the age of 21. That's fine. Patrick Laine was scoring at a part-time rate this season. He was almost playing at a part-time rate this season. Let's call it like it is. We're not doing them any favors by sugarcoating it. I remember one time, uh, I had a family member, and I was doing it, and we were on vacation. It was a family vacation, and I was saying, oh, you know, I should, you know, if I had this, if I had, and then uh, my grandfather looked at me and put me in my place and said, it's a whole lot of if I, if I, if I coming out of your mouth right, right now. Why don't we talk about the did and doing versus the ifs? And I thought, wow, like, and, and, you know, and he said, you're not a doctor. You didn't go into medicine. You, you're not a nurse. Do, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't go into healthcare. You didn't go into medicine. You know, and, you know, maybe you go on to do law. Who knows? But let's take it for what it is. This is what you've said. You, you know, you, you're, you are edgy, you know, your degree is in business you work in finance, this is just the way it is. I'm not discrediting what you are and what that, but let's address it for what it is. You had the chance to do these things and you chose not to. So own up to it. I thought you're damn right. He's damn right. And I'm proud of who I am, proud of what I've accomplished, what I've done and what I do. Uh, it's no different. Sometimes you just have to give people some tough love and put things into perspective. I've... I'm a great example of needing that. Yes. Sometimes we need to be put in our place. And all of us. And the Jets right now need to address it for what it was. I remember saying a couple of years ago, I said Kyle Connor, or maybe it was last season, to this ex-partner of my mother's. I'd said, uh, I'd ran into him somewhere, and I'd said, Kyle Connor's that secret gem on the Jets. The Jets need to use him. They've developed him well. Sending him down to the Moose for that year was super beneficial to him. And, oh, no, nobody would agree with you. You wouldn't say that opinion out loud. You were saying that the other day in the doctor's office and everybody was laughing at you when you went into the doc because they thought you were crazy. I, I stand by that. I think Kyle Connor is a better player than Patrick Laine. I'm entitled to my opinion. I can back that opinion up. And here's my argument. Kyle Connor digs. He's a better skater, a stronger skater. He's better on the puck. He's a better setup man. He digs in the corners. He's got a good shot. He's got good finishing. He's got good hands. He's got good speed. Yeah, Patrick Lighting might have a generational shot that works part-time when he chooses to work part-time. Patrick Lighting is not as good a skater as Kyle Connor. I don't think he's as good a passer as, as Kyle Connor. He doesn't have the hands of Kyle Connor. He doesn't dig in the corners like Kyle Connor. He's not um, as good away from the puck as Kyle Connor. Yeah, he sco he's scored more goals, but I think if you look at it this year, Connor has more points. Let's take a look. You know, and I mean, so you know, making excuses and and it's like study. It's like when you do surveys and studies, they can show you sometimes things that aren't actually the issue, and that can be the concern. And you can be led to believe 
things that you don't need to believe and things that, I mean, you should be focusing on, um, you know, on other tasks. Like it, it, it masks the underlying issues, you know, and that's the issue that uh, I think the Jets had is, I remember saying last year uh, when, uh, I think it was Ovechkin, yeah, Ovechkin did end up winning the um, Maurice Richard Trophy. I was talking to Token Tony um, from the Vegas Squares podcast and we were chatting and he said, uh, who do you think wins the Richard? And I gave this long uh, text to him explaining who I thought was going to do it and why they were going to do it. But I had said that I thought actually, and at the time the race was a little closer. I think Line A was within two goals of Ovechkin. And I said, Patrick Line, this is his last year he's going to get away with what he does. And that's stay, hiding open in plain sight. I mean, that guy hides in plain sight better than anybody. He'll hide in plain sight. They'll feed him the puck. He'll fire that generational shot and score. Ovechkin does more. He hits. He passes. He creates space for other guys. He distracts defensemen. All of these things uh, make Ovechkin's job a little more encompassing. He has a more kind of holistic job. But in turn, if you're looking at who has the best chance at just scoring, and at the time he was playing on the um, line, he was playing with Ehlers and Stasny. So all they have to do is feed him the puck. Long story short, Ovechkin still got the job done, got the Rashard Trophy, and, and Ovechkin and, and Line pissed away that opportunity. This year now, they talk about, oh yeah, so uh, you know, Line with another 30 goal season, you know, more goals at 21 before all these people. Ovechkin lost a year. Like he started his career a year later. For all we know, Alex Ovechkin could be playing in the NHL. And he had the lockout shortened seasons. So two lockout shortened seasons, I believe it was, or at least, and the, or the and the one lockout season that he lost, his entire rookie season he lost, and then came back on on Crosby's rookie season, which ended up being his rookie season. That's what created the whole rivalry. Outscored Crosby, still got to the fifty goals. Only got players score more than sixty. Stamkos has gotten to sixty, but did not get more than sixty. Only player to score sixty uh, more than sixty goals. So, um, found a way to get done. If Ovechkin had been granted those same opportunities of playing that, you know, those extra two, you know, full time, who knows? He could, be, we could be witnessing a guy already while on that cusp of beating Gretzky. It's remarkable. Um, but anyway, let's get into this. The league, I, I hate to say, has kind of figured out Patrick Line. If Patrick Line wants to be an elite player, he's going to have a tough summer ahead of him. He should be putting in that work, training working with the coaches the coaches should be addressing these issues with him and it's tough conversations to have it's tough to say to that a guy of that caliber with that much clout with i mean that much kind of i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but kind of almost kind of mystique about you know that just kind of elitism of him uh the people uh have over patrick line it's hard to go and say, we need to go back to the drawing board with you. But if you look at other sports, and even in hockey, that's what separates those truly elite, those that those players that are consistently elite. It's that willingness to learn, that willingness to adapt. And I hope Line A has that. I hope he realizes he needs to have that. Let's look at it. Kyle Connor now has 64 points compared to Patrick Line A's 50 points. Connor has 31 assists. Line A has 20 Connor has 33 goals. Line A has 30. Both have played the same number of games. Kyle Connor's a minus eight. 
Patrick Laine is a minus 24. Shooting percentage, Kyle Connors at 14.6, Patrick Laine at 12.3. Kyle Connor has 18 penalty minutes, Patrick Laine has 40 penalty minutes. Kyle Connor, four game winning goals, Patrick Laine, three. One category that Laine wins is power play goals, power play assists, they're the same. Connor has a shorthanded goal. You know, I think at certain points we just have to be honest with ourselves. And I think the one the one advantage is I've seen Patrick Liney up close in person. He's a naturally a big guy. He's naturally a solid guy. You know, I'd hate for him to become one of those what could have been. Um, I look at that and I liken it to Michael Johnson in the UFC. If you've had a chance to ever see Michael Johnson fight, to me he represents one of those what could have been. Um, all right, let's see this here. So uh, Kyle Connor, six foot one, 182 pounds, and uh, born in 90, December 96. So he's 22 years old right now. Uh, Patrick Liney, though, on the other hand, is a big guy. He's six foot five, 206 pounds. I mean, so if you put on 20 pounds on Patrick Liney, you well, I mean, maybe you're not going to get 20 more pounds on him, but let's put 10 more pounds on him. Let's kind of tighten up his skating. I mean. Right there again, you're back to having one of those dominant guys. You know, the Jets are not a small team when you look at it. You know, Bufflin 6'5", um, Bulio 6'2", Sherratt 6'3". Uh, I'm trying to think. Even even little Nikolai Ehlers is six feet tall. Kevin Hay is 6'5". Connor Hellebuck is 6'4". Uh, here we go. Let's Lowry's 6'5". Myers is 6'8". Perot, little Matthew Perot's 5'10", but he fucking plays big. He gets in there and grinds. Um, even Brian Little is a solid guy when you look at him. Mark Shifley is 6'3", Jack Rosovic 6'1", Blake Wheeler 6'5", 225 pounds, and he's a workhorse. But enough excuses being made, the Jets need to address this. Otherwise, it is going to be a very long and disappointing... Um, offseason for them and they're going to be one of those what could have been and things change so drastically especially in that western conference you know you look at the moves they made the moves the other teams made and those other teams that you're that you're looking at these are the ones we have to beat again kevin hayes has been great i don't know if he has the overall body of work to measure him against the acquisitions other teams made you know um boyle and simmons in uh nashville I mean, uh, in Vegas, you got Pacioretty, Stasny, and uh, Stone. Yeah, I'll take that. And the re-signing of Reeves. Flurry in that Subban got some ice time now. Okay. You know, a Dallas team with, you know, with Radulov scoring like four points a game now every other game. You know, Tyler Sagan's a generational goal scorer. He just, it's whether he wants to be or not. But he could be. He's an elite talent, second overall pick, and rightfully so. Jamie Benn, hell of a player. Ben Bishop, that redemption story in net. You never know. St. Louis. So Winnipeg right now, not being in control in their own destiny, is looking at a first-round matchup against either... Like, any way they did this, it's shit. But they get to now play one of either uh, Nashville or St. Louis in the first round. 
And it's looking like it'll be them in St. Louis in the first round now. Let's assume Nashville gets the spot now. Uh, they get St. Louis in the first round. The hottest team in the second half of the season. A goalie who very well has come in and stolen the Calder Trophy from Elias Peterson. A goalie that may very well even win both the Calder and Vesna Trophy this year. Like, what happens now? If you're the Jets, and you're the organization, you're management, you're the coaching staff, and you're out in the first round, after, and you didn't even win your division. So you lost the division. You're out in the first round to a team that was dead last on New Year's Day. Like, where do you go? You know, what do you do? Who becomes tradable? Is it a coaching issue? You know, has the message gotten a little stale? As I said, I could see a little merry-go-round there of coaches. There's a lot of good coaches on the wings right now that are unemployed. Alain Vigneault, I believe, is unemployed still. Dave Tippett's mentioned he wants to come back and coach. Todd McClellan is unemployed. Oh, and lest we forget, Joel Quenville is currently unemployed. Three-time Stanley Cup winner, Joel Quenville. Daryl Sutter might want to leave the ranch in Alberta and come and coach. Two-time Stanley Cup, I believe it's at least two-time as a coach. Stanley Cup winner Daryl Sutter. Could be more. If I'm not mistaken, Joel Quinville has three cups as a head coach. He might even have an, uh, a cup as an assistant coach in Colorado in 96 under Mark Crawford, who's coaching Ottawa on an interim basis. I like Mark Crawford as a coach. Where do you go? Mike Babcock might even be finding himself available if that Toronto disaster keeps up. And speaking of disasters there, at least they got the job done. Now, this is about as disastrous as it gets, but I'm not, I don't want Winnipeg to look at this as a, it could be worse because Toronto had shored up their position a while ago. But they went 3-5-2. and two. Toronto went 3-5-2 and two in their last 10 games. Freddie Anderson has struggled with confidence issues. Garrett Sparks... I brought this up on the podcast, um, episode 80. That idea of, I'll be ready for next season. What about this season? Is it, are, are we done? Are we already assuming we're done with Toronto, like uh, with Boston? Like, if so, should we start making travel plans? Can I start making vacation plans? Like, is that what you're saying as a teammate? Like, hey, are we done? Like, do we only, like, when does this series possibly the longest it goes? The, the missus has been asking for a holiday. You know, got to take the parents, their anniversary. You know, am I doing that in two weeks from now? Because that the attitude? So I get, I get where, and I think, as I said, maybe, you know, Shanahan is that guy prepared to have those tough conversations with people. Um, In response to Sparks' comments, and don't get me wrong, Garrett Sparks has, you know, has ability to rebound from this. Maybe he will be ready for next season. But he needs to do that for himself. In the meantime, the Leafs have said, you know what, let's get someone who's ready for right now. And they called up Michael Hutchinson. Is Hutch going to take over for Anderson? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But he will be in... Um, he will be the backup now. I could just about guarantee that. And as, as my buddy Nick said, 
Why should uh, why should Toronto be the underdog against Boston? All of their players are younger and getting into their primes. Boston's kind of over the hill, or should be, but they find ways. Like here's a beat up old Boston Bruin team, and Marchand is getting over a hundred points. Chara just celebrated what his sixty third birthday or something last week, and Boston in the last ten games went seven and three. They already had that big win over Tampa Bay like three weeks ago. You know, it just, it, 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 I don't understand how people let the Jets get away with this all season. How, you know, and, and I mean, it's, it's bad because everybody is a, everybody played a part in this. You heard it on the TV. I'd be watching sports center and there'd be somebody on there saying, Oh, Hey, the Jets that, you know, oh, I'm not worried about the Jets. I'm not worried about the Jets. They'll figure it out. They're a young team. They're still figuring it out. Well, they didn't figure it out. And maybe it's because nobody was putting the putting them in their place. Nobody was reminding them that, hey, wait a second. Two years ago, Nashville was in the show. Last year, they were the favorites to get to the show again. That series wiped us out and we got humiliated. In the Western Final. I remember telling an ex-co-worker, the Jets will be done playing hockey by the time you get back from your weekend. They didn't believe me. That ended up being the case. I've been around hockey enough to know hockey. Sorry, but it's sad but true. I don't like... I, I don't know what to think of the Jets right now. I don't know, but they have some concerns and they got to figure this shit out right now. And there are some tough conversations. And guess what? Yeah, maybe Paul Maurice does need to be having some tough conversations with them and not hand-holding. I don't know. Maybe he is. I hope he is. Because they all need to step up. I love my Jets. All of them. Even you, Patrick Laine. I love my Jets. And this is me giving them some tough love. You know, as I said about my mom's ex-partner, a lot of people were guilty of jumping on that jet bandwagon. Very guilty of jumping on that jet uh, bandwagon and the hype. That's what I was trying to say earlier about Patrick Line, the hype train. Oh, we're so lucky to have Line. Line is better than this. Line is better than this person. Well, Line better figure his shit out quick. It's easy to, to be one-dimensional when, guess what, your one dimension is the leading goal scorer on the team. You're not even that. Where do you put him? You know, going into, you know, what, I mean, the thing that benefits Patrick Line is, yeah, he's young. Very young. So, yeah, you got a little, you got a, maybe another year of wiggle room. But this better be that toughest summer. He better be putting in those work hours if... Uh, he wants to be an elite player again. I remember being at a game years ago here in Winnipeg. I mean, it's hard to imagine this, that I've been watching Alex Ovechkin play my basically my entire adult life. It's, it's remarkable to think I was there at a game in Winnipeg when Ovechkin was going through the, that those slumpy years when he couldn't get more than 30-something goals a year. By the way, Ovechkin scored 30 goals a year every year of his career. Um, but 
He was going through those years there where all of a sudden people thought, oh, the league's figured out Ovechkin. Oh, Ovechkin had his, you know, his thing. And I was at the game and the crowd started this chant. Rather than go Jets go, whatever it was, it was Crosby's better. And this chant had been building up a little bit in the weeks prior at different arenas he was playing at. I think he'd played in Pittsburgh. Got to Winnipeg. And they, the on the jumbotron, they zoomed in uh, and put Ovechkin's face on the jumbotron, and he just looked, and he was smiling. I think he was mouthing something to his teammates, and he was smiling as they were chanting "Crosby's better." And I looked at my buddy I was with at the game, and he said to me, "He said, Sonny, I guarantee you, this moment right here is a turning point in Alex Ovechkin's career. He's gonna take this." When the lowly Winnipeg Jets, and at the time we were, we were a shit team back then. Their fans are yelling Crosby's better. And Ovechkin, even in his shitty years, was still lighting up Winnipeg. And I said, really? And he says, yeah. He says, watch and see. He's going to turn this around. He's going to finish the season strong. And you're going to see he's always going to get like 40 more, 40 goals a season. He was right. It did serve as a wake-up call to Ovechkin. He was hitting more. He was playing with more confidence. He had refound his love of hockey. Now Ovechkin has 650-something goals. The only guy that people are thinking uh, has a real shot right now of beating Gretzky's numbers. As I said, had he not been ripped off of those games throughout his career, he probably is way closer. I think he's, well, he's already over 700 at that point. Like, we're watching a guy that in his prime years is in se- is 700 goals. Um, and pro- and and then easily gets past Gretzky. So he's having to overcome some things that Gretzky didn't. And it was a turning point in his career. I'm hoping the Jets get through this slump, figure out what the fuck is going on, get their shit together, and can piece it together can put to the lines together they need to, get the best out of everybody, have some tough conversations with players. And don't get me wrong, even in moments like this, you're having tough conversations with players that are doing their parts. I remember, you know, when I was playing. I remember in net. I remember my coach having some tough conversations with me. I was still winning games, still doing my part, and he says, yeah, it's getting so tight now, Differentials matter. All of these things matter. So you're capped. No more, you know, us winning 5-3 games, 6-3 games. Those better be 6-2 games, 6-1 games, 5-1 games, 5-0, 6-0. You're kind of playing to the standard of your teammates and you got to suck it up. I thought, wow, like who the fuck? Like I'm the number one goalie here. Like my numbers don't lie. I'm the, you know, I'm the the league leader right now in in, in most of the uh, important categories. And I'm thinking to myself, and I was, you know, and it's in those awful teenage years. And I thought, and I left that meeting with my coach. I was like, you know, fuck this. But it was funny because maybe that was the desired effect. Maybe he knew how to handle me. And I came out the next game and I got a shutout. I was like, you're damn right. I'm doing my fucking part. That's maybe what he needed to do. Maybe he's like, hey, this is how you have to address some hot-headed teenage goalie who thinks he's fucking invincible. Be a little firm with him. He'll respond. He'll, you know, he'll come out. He'll play hard. Everything will work itself out. 
Maybe. Sure as hell didn't hurt anything. So, who knows? I'm just hoping that maybe this tough talk I'm having today gets somewhere. And uh, no hard feelings to the Jets. I just want to know what the heck's going on. And uh, to my mom's uh, ex-partner I brought up today, you know, awesome guy. Awesome guy. And it's the same thing. Like, a lot of Winnipeggers love the Jets to almost to the point of potential detriment. You can't sometimes see the holistic view. And uh, and, he, and, he, and he is. He's always been a Jet I mean, he's older than I am. But, yeah, great um, big Jet fan. Problem is sometimes those hardcore Jet fans, and we're all guilty of it, we need to be tougher on our Jets. We need to expect more, and we need them to want to expect more. Don't train for where you are. Train for where you want to be. And that's where the work, and that's what I talked about even with myself, as I've talked about making those lifestyle changes, getting in shape again, getting in better shape, pushing my body to be, you know, more efficient, more effective, all of these things. It was, there was so many months of building that groundwork foundation of just doing as many sit-ups as I can a day, just pushing myself to sit-up after sit-up after sit-up after sit-up after sit-up. All right, now we're doing this, this one, this and this and this. Going to the gym, starting out with just, you know, all of these little things. And then all of a sudden, just one day you're like, fuck yeah, now I'm starting to get there. You have to go, you have to aim and, and do things to get to where you want to be, not where you are. The Jets are in the middle of a slump. They're becoming the laughing stock of the Central Division. I think as of right now, they're the most desired matchup in the Western Conference. Every team, I think, would take it would take the Jets. They said, which team would you like to play right now? Every team would say the Jets. Why wouldn't they? Out of all the playoff teams in the Western Conference, let's take a look at it. Only one team has been worse in their last 10 games. And they got to get their shit together, but we're not talking about them today. But sorry, I apologize. There are, no, wait. So they would have gotten 10 points. No, never mind. So yeah, only one team has been less productive. And that's the San Jose Sharks, who had already a week ago solidified their place in the division, solidify, clinched a playoff spot, and gotten second place in their division. And both them and Vegas have been figuring things out. They know what they need to do. But of all the teams in a race, the Jets have fucked up the most. In the Central Division, they have done worse over their last 10 games than all the teams. Only one team has had the same point output as them, and that is the Minnesota Wild, who are sixth in the Central Division. Every other team, including the Chicago Blackhawks, has been more productive in their last 10 games. Two more points was all the Jets needed. The Pacific is a little more of a mess because, I mean, they have Edmonton there. Arizona fell apart. Edmonton fell apart. Um, but even Anaheim's done better in the last 10 games. Los Angeles. I mean, let's even look at the East. I, if I find... I mean, this has got to be embarrassing. If Ottawa's done better in their last 10 games than Winnipeg, that's a cry for help. And they have. They have. In the last 10 games, Ottawa is 5-5. Five and five. Detroit has been a surprise story here at the end of the season, going 8-2. and two. Yep. Buffalo, I mean, nobody expected anything good out of Buffalo, but uh, uh, Philadelphia fell apart. 
The Rangers are the Rangers. New Jersey got, was uh, equally as uh, abysmal as uh, Winnipeg. But yeah. So, I mean, when you're comparing yourself to the league, to the bottom end of the league in your last 10 games, how do you expect to win a division? How do you think you deserve to win a division? So I, I, I hope the Jets figure this out. They get their shit together. They can move forward, be more productive, and uh, hopefully turn this around. It would be a shame to see what could have been a marvelous uh, playoff run and a marvelous season. Uh, and who knows, even a cup appearance uh, turn into a, an embarrassing first-round loss. And I mean, imagine here. So let's just look at this first situation. There is still a situation in which Winnipeg doesn't even have home ice throughout the Western Conference playoffs. So if, the, if St. Louis wins their last game and Winnipeg loses theirs... St. Louis would finish in second in the division. They would have home ice over Winnipeg in the first round. Let's say Winnipeg somehow gets past them. Nashville gets into the second round. Okay. So now you have Winnipeg against Nashville. Nashville has home ice again. Oh, and then you go to the West, and then now you have the Western final. So assuming one of Calgary or San Jose get through uh, the Pacific Division route, they also will have home ice in the Western Final. The only team Winnipeg would feasibly have home ice against if they played them is if one of those better teams gets knocked out. So if Colorado can beat Calgary, which could possibly happen. Dallas might beat Nashville. Doubtful, but they could. Okay, so great. Yeah, you get to the second round, you get one of those two teams. Dallas is a dangerous matchup for Winnipeg. So other than a, a, a Western final against uh, Vegas, they don't see home ice. When they could have had it. And then you look at the teams that could win the East. Tampa Bay, Boston, Washington. You can't ever exclude Pittsburgh. They don't have home ice over any of those teams. So it, it is what it is. It, it, it's a disappointment no matter how the regular season finishes off, the regular season ends up being a disappointment for the Jets and a lot of their players. And going into tomorrow, being in a must-win position when they didn't need to be is hard on that team because now they have to grind out going into the grind. So we'll see. Do you toss away the season now? Like, do you just say, hey, you know what? It was a good run. It was what it was. Upward and onward. Let's take a look at the schedule. I, I just want to say, I'll leave it off with the schedule. But uh, let's take a look uh, here. So you got Saturday, uh, April 6th, the final day of the regular season. And you got Winnipeg finished out their season on the road. And they're against Arizona, so that's a winnable game. I would laugh if Arizona beats us. But, yeah, it could be uh, St. Louis is at home against Vancouver. Very winnable matchup for them. And the Nashville Predators, where the fuck are you? They're at home to Chicago. So that's a, that could be a potentially tough one. So there's some light at the end of the tunnel, but it doesn't look good. Anyway... 
much love to all of you. Uh, and uh, a lot of love to our Jets. Uh, but as I said, sometimes you just have to have those tough conversations. This is me doing it for them. Anyway, I thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Instagram at twi- and Twitter at the Dude Sunny D. Take care and bye bye for now.